Hey, this is Greg Steer, and welcome to an uh, on-the-road edition of Gospelize uh, with Greg Steer, my podcast, and privileged here to have uh, Dr. Ralph Arnold, otherwise known to me as Yankee, uh, the man who reached much of my family for Christ. I'm here in Tampa at a uh, youth uh, convention, the National Youth Workers Convention, YS. But uh, Yankee, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. This is a new for me. I haven't done this before. Yeah, but we just did your radio program, so <laughs> you're an old pro at it. Um, tell me a little bit. I mean, you are, I mean, God used you to reach my entire family with the gospel of Christ. And when you came out, when did you come out to uh, Colorado? I came out in 1968, but God had already prepared me for rough guys like the Matthiases. You see, my daddy was a bootlegger and spent most of his life in the chain gang and running from the law. He married my mom when she was 14. She was a rebel in Georgia. And of course, my daddy was a rebel born in Georgia. First two girls, well, they were rebels born in Georgia, but my daddy always wanted a boy. And um, he was on the run at the time, and so he went to Pennsylvania, and I was born. And when I was born, I had long, straight black hair all over my body. I had sideburns, I had hair going down my back. and. Um, Anyway, he looked at me and he says, that's the ugliest kid he'd ever seen in his life. Now, my dad had never seen Greg Steer. And um, he was going to put me in a burlap sack and throw me in the river and drown me, and my mama wouldn't let him. The doctor came to the house, and he looked at me and looked at my daddy and says, my, my, my. Looks just like his daddy, don't he? And my daddy cussed. He called me the blankety-blank Yankee, and that's how I got my name. And, uh, you're not joking. That's no, how, that's how you I'm telling you is the truth. This Yankee. is the gospel truth. I got my nickname before I ever got my real name. Because Mama named me after the doctor. See, I was six of us kids. All of us were born at home. None of us were born in the hospital. So the doctor didn't always make it on time. And so um, about six months later, they moved to Georgia. And I've been, you know, a Yankee raised in the South. So I've been shot at from both sides all my life. And it wasn't until I had I got old enough that... Uh, I wanted to know how to have eternal life, but I never knew anybody that was going to heaven. <laughs> and nobody ever told me how to go to heaven. Maybe that nobody wanted me to go to heaven, I don't know. But I saw this girl, and I decided I'm gonna marry her. And I was 17 years old, she was 16. And I told my mom, I says, I'm gonna marry her. Now, I didn't even know her name. Hmm. And I says, um, I I'm going after her, but I found out she had a boyfriend. So I went and met with him, took care of that. Then I went after her. And whenever um, I went and asked her parents, I says, can I marry her? And they said, no. I says, why? Because you don't have a job, you don't have any money, you don't have a place to live. And her mother says, and you're a bum. And everything they said was the truth. I was one hopeless case. So I did the next best thing. We ran away to Anderson, South Carolina and got married. Her daddy came looking for me with a gun. He was going to part my soul in eternity. But instead, he had mercy upon me. And one night, he explained to me the gospel. I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now, I had finished the 10th grade. I didn't want to go in the 11th grade. My dad was still there. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but um, after I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I knew he had eternal life, I wanted to serve the Lord. And I used to go down to the Bible bookstore, and I would sit in there at lunchtime, and I would eat my sandwich in the corner, and I'd read missionary stories. Mm. And the guy that ran the store later started the... Athens Christian Schools, but his name was Buell Cummings, and he had let me read the books on missionaries, and then I couldn't pay for them, and he'd tell me when I had to get ready to go back to, to work, and I would sit there in the corner, and I'd read these things, and I would, I'd sit there, and I'd cry, 
And I couldn't believe it. I said, man, I wish I could be used by God. I wish there was something I could do. I didn't know God wanted to use me. I just thought I, I, I got to use God for something. And it wasn't until I got a little bit further down the line that things began to make a little sense to me. And I was out there in Shreveport, Louisiana, laying on the, the ground in, while it was snowing between a fence and the, the house. And I, uh, I was so miserable. You see, I had a good wife. I had two good kids. I had a good job. There was nothing wrong with that but something missing on the inside. And I laid there that night, and I told the Lord, I says, you either use me or I don't have any desire to live. And I says, I got two kids in the house, and I tell them what to do, and they do it. I says, but why can't you talk to me? Why can't you be clear? Why can't you be? I says, don't you dare, when I get to heaven, point your finger at me and say, Yankee, why didn't you do with your life what I wanted to? I says, because I don't know what to do. And I says, it's not my fault. That's yours. I, I talk pretty blunt to the Lord. And I'd go back in the house, and I would just open the Bible, and I couldn't find anything. I'd flip back and forth, and finally my eyes fell upon the 119th Psalm. How at all shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. The word is a lamp unto my feet. The entrance of thy word giveth light. And then I came to the conclusion, I cannot know the will of God unless I know the word of God. So it's the will of God to know the word of God in order to know the will of God. I wound up going to Bible college, and I'm so glad I went to Florida Bible College. Taught me how to serve the Lord. And this is what I've been looking for. So I realized... How, how old were you? Were I was you? I was 18 when I trusted the Lord, 22 when I went to Bible college, 26 when I graduated. And so I was in uh, Arvada, Colorado there. And I started off my youth ministry with two kids. One was a junior high. Well, both of them were junior high. And I felt I just came from Florida Bible College. I know everything. I am so smart. I'm going to open it up for questions. And I opened it up for questions. And I thought, you know, these kids, they don't, they don't know anything. So one kid, he asked me a question. He says, he says, is God big? I says, God's big. He says, he can do anything. I can do anything. He says, can he make a rock? I say, he can make a rock. He says, can he make a big rock? I say, he can make a big rock. He says, can he make a rock so big he can't lift it? And I realized that kid didn't set me up. I was going to come <laughs> off my shoulder and slap his jaws. But I didn't. I just realized since then, never answer a question like that again. Yeah. Because now I know that God can't do anything. He can't sin. He can't send me to hell. And he can't make a rock so big he can't lift it because there wouldn't be no place to put it. So I've been waiting on this kid, and I've never seen him since. <laughs> but from those two kids, it grew and grew until the next thing we know, we was running, you know, an average maybe four or 500 kids in ranch. And we had high days of over 900. That's 960-something. And it, the it was, we ever had. it was about that time that I kind of came in. You came um, in in the highlight of our youth ministry. And I, you know, I remember, I mean, you you reached my, my family's last name. You mentioned it earlier is Matthias. My last name's Steer, but my uncle's and my mom's maiden name, Matthias. And you you went down and, and to North Denver and reached uh, my family for Christ, especially my uncle Jack. And, you know, I tell these stories about my uncle Jack being a tough guy. I'm not exaggerating. You're not exaggerating, not one iota. After talking to Bob Daly and hearing some things about Jack, anybody in their right mind would not want to take and uh, schedule a definite meeting with him on his terms in his home. And yet that's exactly what I had to do because his, he had two daughters, mm -hmm. Jackie and um, Tammy. Tammy. They were about 10 or 11 years old, and they'd come to ranch, and they trust the Lord. They weren't supposed to be there, but they came anyway. And they would ask me every week, would you go talk to my parents? And I 
kept putting them off because I, you know, I got enough thing to do with all the other kids and so forth. And they, they weren't supposed to be there anyway. So I didn't have to, I didn't feel no obligation to go to their mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. Their parents didn't count. And, uh, but anyway, they just wouldn't let go like pit bulls. So finally, uh, Bob knew about it. And then he says, I'll go with you. And so anyway, we went. And when we got there, Bob decided he'd stay in the car and pray. And uh, so I went up to the door. I, I would have stayed in the car and prayed too. <laughs> I would have talked to my Uncle Jack. But I didn't know what was going to happen. And the thing that met me was that big old dog they had. It was a police dog. Lobo. Lobo. And I mean, he was high as my head. I'm six yeah. foot. That dog was looking me eye to eye, and his teeth were snarling at me. And I was scared to death. And it hadn't been for that door. And uh, Earlene came up there and got the dog and put him in the room. And then, well, and here's uh, Jack. And they were... They were watching TV at the time, but Jack was hard of hearing. He's like I am. I got hearing aids in both ears, but he was hard of hearing too, and he had the TV loud. Well, the last thing I wanted to do was tell him to turn the TV down. So I went over toward the the little table they had sitting there, and Erling came over. Well, Jack can't hear. So he, I didn't want to tell him to turn the TV down, but so he turned it down himself. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm still talking softly and quietly. And then next thing you know, he's coming walking by, mm-hmm. and he sits down. And it was a piece of cake. He heard the gospel, and it just blew his mind. Mm. And he trusted Christ as Savior and early. And I want to give you a quarter for him because it's uh, just I, I was just glad to get out of the house. And when I got out, they started men to come out to everything and got so involved. And I decided to have a contest. But I didn't know that he was going to bring out 250 people to church. And in that month or whatever it was, that you know counted for him. And I got it so on the fly leaf of giving, his Bible. Yeah, you're giving away a free Bible. I'm giving away an old Bible, just an old Bible, an old Schofield reference Bible, just like mine. So they wanted to have a Bible just like mine. And that's what I gave away. And I wrote it in there, and it's still in his Bible today. Yeah. And so, um, but Jack. So he brought 250 people out to, he got these in people one month. Out. Yeah. And they. Some of them are pretty rough people. Oh, they, they, these out. were bouncers and, uh, you know, in bars and uh, muscle bound guys. I used to have a strapping physique and the straps broke. <laughs> I used to tell Jack, I said, Jack, you know how I built up my muscles? He said, I, said, I used to fill a bathtub full of water and then pull the plug and fight the current. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so you just, so my family one by one came to Christ through your influence. And the youth ministry that you ran, uh, Christian Youth Ranch, was very unique um, because you really believed in the potential of teenagers. Why were you so, here you are a church planner, but really you were a youth leader dis- disguised as a lead pastor. Why did you well, believe so much in teenagers? Because, yeah, remember, I wasn't raised in church. I was never ingrained with how you're supposed to do things. And so I felt the freedom, whatever it takes, by all means. So I would, I would have spook houses, scare people to death. Now, some of the things that we did, I don't think I'd do them again. That's because I'm just smarter down the road. I remember some. And I, and I, and I felt ashamed that I did some of the things. And, uh, but you were like, I'm going to do whatever it whatever. takes. Whatever. It didn't we'll matter. We'll do a haunted house. We'll do whatever I, it I, takes. I gave away a Pontiac Firebird. I remember again. that. And that car got more people out than anything. That's when Danny Jackson, I think, won it. And we had 900-something teenagers that night. He almost got almost the whole school to come out. Yeah. Him and Anita, I think it was Anita Corn, And they... Uh, they worked against each other, and so that meant it just raised ranch go. So and I you, gave away a, a motorcycle one yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. In a trip to Florida. So let me ask you, why? 
Why teenagers? Why did you have such a focus on reaching teenagers and then training teenagers to reach teenagers? I believe that you work better with people that are your age and under. It's, when you're young, it's harder to work with older people because mm. you're just a squirt. You don't know what you're talking about. You're not wet, dry behind the ears. And so, and I felt more comfortable. I believe that God wants to use you where you are and the way you fit at that time. Mm -hmm. Now that I've gotten older, I don't do youth work anymore, but I still try to get other people to do it. And I can tell them what I did. But now that I'm older, I like sitting with a microphone and talking and then it's going around the world. And uh, like we just finished talking, okay, there's three to five million people in this area. And then it goes into Colorado. So the radio, and, yeah. the radio program. And then you've got about five to uh, ten to fifteen million in the area that can listen. If everybody listened to it, there there may only be five people listening, but I mean, there's a potential. So you never know. So you were always kind of looking for how do I make the biggest impact? So you're a young guy, early twenties, mid twenties, out in Colorado, mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with teenagers and mobilize. And so one of the things that you did is again, you didn't just do a great youth meeting you trained and equipped us to reach our own friends. Why did you believe um, in, in teenagers reaching teenagers as opposed to just teenagers bringing their friends out to church? Well, I feel, and I used to tell teenagers, um, teenagers reach teenagers. Old people might reach teenagers. Teenagers reach in. You're trying to create an atmosphere that makes it possible for them. And the way we ran ranch, is, Which is the name of the youth ministry. Yeah, it's the, yeah. it's the name of our teenage Bible study. It's a teenage Bible study. But we would have fire icebreakers, you know, faster songs, and then we'd have slower songs, like a devotional frame of mind to help calm them down some. And I became a master telling jokes. Because that's, when I have four or 500 kids there, and I'm just one person sitting up there, and these kids came not from church homes, not Christian kids. These were wild kids. And a lot of them broken homes and all that. At one they point, raised. you said there was like five active gangs in uh, Youth Ranch. Yeah, we would, they would take and come, and we had thirty girls in one time squaring off against some a bunch of other ones, and I mean they're ready to fight. Yeah, um, we even had one kid. I mean, he took the pipe out of the sink at home and brought the pipe so he'd be ready to go. And my brother, he drove a bus. And uh, some kids were still on the bus, and Cheryl, his wife, walked by the bus, and they had let down the window, and they reached out, and they were going to spit on her. And they, well, they spit. My brother, little man, you don't just do that to his wife. He gets on the bus, and he heads back there, and he's ready to kill this kid. And, I mean, this, because this is what we had to put up with. We had to stop little man. You mean you can't do this. Yeah. And, um, and I remember, you know, it was, they, here, Arvada is a pretty, pretty white, middle-class town. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was a lot. We had uh, blacks come. We had Spanish come. We had, we reached anybody. Well, because uh, you guys reached into North Denver to reach my family, West Denver to Sanchez's, Martinez, and a lot of them became significant leaders in mm -hmm. this youth ministry. Um, and it's because you believed, I, I think, down deep inside, not only just the power of the gospel, potential of teens, but almost the, the poorer uh, you know, teens were, the more open and receptive they seemed. It seemed like a lot of the kids that came from the port, like me, and a lot of the others were really hungry to do something. What well, do you think? Well, they listened to my testimony and where I came from, well, that gave that gives everybody hope. Yeah. God can use anybody. If God can use Yankee, he can use anybody. And I tried to stay clear and simple where people could understand what I'm saying. And I would take and 
tell a joke and they'd laugh and while they got their mouths open laughing I would give them Ephesians 2 8 9 and tell yeah. another joke and then 1 John 5 13 and so I did that and you could hold their attention and then every Sunday night for about 20 minutes on a Sunday night I would take our key kids like a Christian Youth Science Council like these are the leaders on a Sunday night that will do the job on a I Thursday remember. and I would tell them I says now this coming Thursday night, we're going to have three people give testimonies. And I would pick them, this one, this one, and this one. I said, remember now, here's how you do it. You tell them what you thought, what you found out, and what you did. I always tell them my name, and I trust in Christ as a Savior. No, I have eternal life. And if you don't know where you're going, listen to Yankee. And so each one knew what to say. So then on ranch night, we could have two or three hundred kids there. And I would say, who wants to give a testimony? But all 50 or 60 of those kids that came on Sunday night would all, everybody raise their hand, but I knew only three of them were going to get the gospel, mm. uh, the, their testimony. Yeah. But that causes everybody to think, everybody here wants to say this. Yeah. And so you created an inciting environment where it, they weren't ashamed because the kids that did give a testimony, because the last thing you want to do is, who'd like to give a testimony and everybody sit there? Mm. Nobody wants to. But if you plan it ahead of time, and because we would have so many kids coming, we'd know whether or not we're going to have a pizza party this night, we're going to have, uh, you know, burritos this night, or hamburgers, or whatever we're going to do. I had to have all these relatives of yours stand around the room. They were like bodyguards. Yeah. Really, they were. Bouncers. I mean, you had Jack and Tom Mathias and Bob and some of these other, and I mean, these guys, because if they weren't there, we couldn't have run. We'd had a, we'd have had riots. We'd have police out there, but yeah. we never had really too bad of a problem because your relatives helped guard this thing. Yeah, and they you drove know, the buses too. I remember they were driving buses. So you, you know, what, I remember coming in. I didn't have a dad. Um, all of a sudden, I feel like I had fifty dads because they're these older teenagers and 20-somethings and you pouring into me um, but you gave students I remember you gave me an opportunity um, to actually even give the gospel in church to this morning in your church office you I just I don't even I don't remember saying those exact words but you played for me you were 11 or 12 years old and I let you speak to our whole congregation it was toward the end of the service and I wanted I want them to know what we're trying to bring up. And it created desires in people, you know, if he can do it, then I can do it. And it was something you expected to be done. And it, it gave people confidence. You can do this. And whenever I had ranch, I would always play if I wanted to. I'd play 20 songs in the key of E. And the reason is because they would be lined up watching how I played in court. Yeah. So they would know how to do it. Now, if I was all over the place like this, like Bob Daly does, well, you would never learn how to play. So basically, you, in the same way you kind of discipled them to play the guitar, you discipled them to evangelize, you discipled them to... They had no clue. Us I never the used the word disciple. I don't think, I don't, I don't remember. It's just that it caught. Yeah, you trained It's it. got it, not yeah. just taught. It, 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 you may not use the word, but that's exactly yeah, what you Everything doing. we did was a, a discipleship. Yeah. We just copy, we would copy you and... One thing that we learned was from Ray Stanford. Ray was so simple, so clear. We thought, anybody can do like it. I mean, he's not that great. Because it wasn't the person that you were so caught up with. It was the, the what they're doing. Mm. It's that message they got. And I tell you, if you give the gospel, people will trust the Lord. It didn't matter. So these teenagers were seeing results right yeah. off the bat. They didn't have to wait to become a, a pastor in a church. Yeah. 
they could do this right where they are. These girls, who in the world would have ever thought they would have come drive 45 minutes on a Sunday night to get to church when there's so many other things that people are doing, and yet they worked in the bus ministry all day on Saturday yep. and get up early the next morning and ride the bus, get home about 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, get about a two-hour rest, and be back that Sunday night. See, and I, rem I remember... Who made them do this? Yeah, no, nobody made them. But they it was, wanted to it do was it. a vision that you had planted in our minds and our souls that God had used you to really say, you can reach this world for Christ. We can shake the city of Arvada. I remember going on those bus routes. I had one when I was 15. Going door to door. My daughter remembers picking you up. Yeah. Getting, I mean, getting chased by dogs, getting yelled at, but sharing Christ. And I did it because I believe God could use me to make a difference. And I believe that because you believe that. And so there's a lot of youth leaders listening to this podcast. What would you say to them when it comes to not underestimating teenagers to reach teenagers with the gospel? I do believe that Jesus was a youth leader and that those, probably 11 of them were teenagers. But when I used to sit in Florida Bible College and I was 24, 25 years old, I used to think, how in the world can I ever get into all these churches and all these youth groups? And I used to sit and I'd cry because I, I had a vision. But, uh, but I know I, that, that's impossible. There's no way that I can do any of that. And so I worked as a loner. I was a lone ranger in Colorado. I didn't work with anybody. I did my own thing. But I had a burden for all the others. And I think about all these kids that go to these places and they don't have anything else. And it's, it's not that I wanted them to not hear at least how to go to heaven. I'm talking about the consequences of a, a false message. What that false message is going to do, these people are going to be blinded. But there need to be a way to get some light into there so they can hear and understand and know the truth. And little did I know that God had a bigger plan and that there was a vision God had and He wanted done. I want to be part of what His plan is, His vision. Hmm. And God wants to reach the world. And if you can reach the teenagers before they become adults, you stand a greater chance on influencing the world. Because yeah. if you influence this world, it's not going to be because you influence adults. You influence the teenagers that were stabilized. And so now these teenagers, through one little individual like a Greg Steer, hmm. who winds up going now to how many of these youth directors in all these churches all across America, I see the vision that I had not being fulfilled by me but through somebody else. So I still feel that whenever you go, I'm going with you. You are. I'm going, well, I'm going all those But I didn't know how in the world can it it's ever be happen. done. God had a bigger plan and a different plan. We all have to. We all have the same job. That's the stand the post God has given us. And Yankee, um, I know we're wrapping this up, but I just want to tell you personally, and I, like I tell you almost every time we talk, is that I would not be doing Dare to Share if it wasn't for the investment that you made in my life and so and my family. And so thank you for being faithful to stand your post well. And thank you for the investment you made in me personally and my family. And youth leaders across the nation and now across the world are benefiting from that. So thank you so much. And thanks for being a part of my podcast. Thank you so much. What an honor. You bet. Love you. God bless you.